Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are talking about Halloween from 2007, directed and written by Rob Zombie, starring Scout Taylor Compton, Tyler Maine, Dag Fersh, and Malcolm McDowell. In this reboot of the Halloween franchise, we follow Michael's journey from his troubled childhood to the night he returns to his hometown of Haddonfield 15 years later. And happy Halloween, everybody. If you're listening to this when it's released, it should be Halloween in a few days. Um, And as a Halloween treat to our Patreon supporters, we're going to be releasing an episode on Halloween 2, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 from 2009. And it should be out there on our Patreon site as soon as you're hearing this. So you can go, if you aren't a Patreon subscriber, you can go to patreon.com slash horrormovieclub and you can pay a buck to listen to it. That'll subscribe you for a buck a month. If you don't want to do that, you can just cancel afterwards. Um, so yeah, happy Halloween. We hope you enjoy that treat to our Patreon supporters and anybody else who wants to listen to that. We appreciate you, Patreon supporters. Sorry it's been so long since we put an episode out there. And Ashwin, as we get closer to Halloween, I know you were thinking about going to a drive through haunted house. Have you done that yet? No, I haven't done it yet. Like the price point uh, is kind of worrying. It's like 75 bucks or something a car. And uh, some of the reviews haven't been too spectacular. So uh, we've held off on it so far. So no drive through yet. Um, but there's some in the city that I, that I might check out. Uh, what about you? Have you done anything? No, and I probably won't do anything uh, yeah. in terms of haunted houses. But having a kid kind of reignites some Halloween excitement for me. Are they, I know Asheville's like a big Halloween scene. Are they doing things out there this year? You know, that's a good question. I haven't kept up if they're going to do anything. Um, we are oh, not okay. going to do anything. We'll probably just do like a scavenger hunt in our yard or something. Nice. Like a spooky scavenger hunt? Dress up. What's that? Like a spooky one? Yeah. Or maybe just put some candy in like little plastic pumpkins or something like that and hide them around oh. the yard. They love like Easter egg hunts. So nice. I think we'll do uh, a play on that. I might have to sneak over to your place on Halloween day and get some get to some of those before your kids do. <laughs> yeah, maybe give them a good scare too. Yeah, stranger it. in the yard. <laughs> it's all part of the hunt. <laughs> uh, so yeah, man, this is uh, our third Rob Zombie movie, and isn't it kind of fun? Where we hadn't seen a single zombie movie, right? Neither of us. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, just this year, we've gotten through three of them, right? Yeah, we're going through his movies in sequential order. I think we should stay on that track till we till we do them all. I think so, yeah, because he's only got, what, like uh, five or six films? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And, yeah, six uh, sounds about right. Okay, yeah. And it's crazy that it's in sequential order. Like, what are the odds? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is a movie... His third movie it had a budget of fifteen million, made eighty million at the box office. Uh, the original had a box office of like sixty or seventy million, so pretty close, right? But like twenty years earlier, or so right? Or yeah. thirty years almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, this still holds the record as the top Labor Day weekend grossing movie. Oh, it came out over Labor Day. It. I don't think it came out over Labor Day. I think maybe it was like. No, it must have. It must have come out over Labor Day. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so out of all the movies that have come out like ever over Labor Day weekend, this one has the highest box office? Yeah. For that yeah. specific weekend. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Right? Yeah. I th- I, so I was like up against like Michael Clayton or something or two other movies I'd never heard of. Uh, but yeah, maybe the guy, yeah, I'm guessing the competition wasn't that high. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, this has a Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 27%. That's, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you, like, uh, since this is our third Rob Zombie film, uh, what is his, what, what's like his hit ratio with you? Like what, um, out of the last two, like, did you like both of them or do you feel like it's one or, or the other, like a 50% ratio? What do, what do you think? I think they were both hits for me, House and Rejects, but Rejects was just like a, or the House of a Thousand Corpses was just my like, yeah, I like it. I'm not wild about it. Yeah. Um, Devil's Rejects was a little bit higher than that. Yeah. Same, same. Yeah, feel like it was a. Th- I gave him a three and a three point five, respectively. Maybe if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah, I feel like I was kind of around those. I might have been a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, lower on uh, House of uh, a Thousand Corpses, but yeah, d- definitely enjoyed the Devil's Rejects a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. So um, Weinstein approached Rob Zombie with this. Right. He just had ownership of the Halloween franchise and I don't think he even like had gave Rob Zombie any ideas of what the movie should be he was just like Halloween do something (laughs) yeah that's pretty awesome yeah and I think it's cool that he decided to go this route instead of like uh you know just another sequel I mean it was in a time where these were all the rage like the remakes Mm -hmm. um but I, I think it was the right choice so technically, this would have been part nine in the franchise. Correct. Yeah, and and, and and like this is the first time it's kind of being rebooted and taken back to the beginning. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, maybe I will just run through the franchise real quick for anyone curious. Halloween, the first one, seventy eight. Halloween two, nineteen eighty one. Halloween three, season of the witch, nineteen eighty two, which did not include Michael Myers. Halloween four, the return of Michael Myers in eighty eight. Halloween five, the revenge of Michael Myers in eighty nine. Halloween The Curse of Michael Myers in 95, Halloween Age 20 20 years later in 98, Halloween Resurrection in 02, then this movie, Halloween in 2007, Halloween 2 in 2009, then another reboot, Halloween in 2018, with two more on the way. And we've only seen before this three of those, or have you seen more? Um, We have only discussed three of these films, but I have seen, I think I've seen all of them except for the sixth one. Oh, wow. I didn't realize you were so into this franchise. Yeah, I didn't either, but I think I just, I think like H2O and Resurrection I saw in the theater just yeah. because. Um, and then four and five were recently on Shutter, so I watched those like earlier this year, maybe. Nice. I haven't seen nice. those before. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, they've all been at least entertaining. I thought five sucked pretty bad, though. <laughs> that was the low point for you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes oh, sense. But I haven't seen the others since the theaters, like twenty years or H two O and Resurrection. And so. is Jamie Lee Curtis in all of those ones that you just mentioned? She's in. Uh, this is off the top of my head, so I may. Sorry if I get it wrong, but she's in Halloween, the first one. She's in H two O Resurrection, the reboot from twenty eighteen, and her voice can be heard in Halloween three season of the witch. And she's in the second one, right? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, second one. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So like four or five of the films she's in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So this is, um, there's been 11 films released and then one has been filmed and not released and one is in production. So at the end of this, there would be 12 movies. Wow. No, there'd be 13, which would at top the-, the Friday the 13th with 12 movies. That's awesome. Wait, wait, when is the next one coming out? Uh, 2021, theoretically. Oh, oh, okay, okay. 
Yeah. Then right. Halloween and Halloween kills in 2021 and Halloween ends in 2022. Damn. Yeah. Um, and so you really think by the time they hit this ninth film, it was time to reboot or do a remake. Like if you're in Rob Zombie's shoes, you would have done the same thing. Uh, I think so. Yeah. But um, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. It just I mean, feels it's like it had gone so many places at that point, except back to the beginning. Sure, sure. And it, wasn't there a version he was thinking of, which would like have just been like an origin story and not even gone into uh, like the original source material? Yeah, the original plan that he pitched was two movies, because he was like, this is going to be, regardless of whether this is a piece of shit or not, people are going to come see this movie. Mm -hmm. It's been such a long time since they had a Halloween movie and everyone comes to see these. So the first movie would just be the backstory from when Michael was a kid. And the second movie would be, you know, like the first movie picking up there from the 1978 film. Instead, kind of, that's why this movie has kind of like the feel of being two different movies almost. Yeah. Yeah. That really explains it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, Filming occurred in the same neighborhood used for the original. Which mm-hmm. makes sense, because, man, everything looked so similar. It did, yeah. It was, it was, like, spot on. Yeah. And John Carpenter was so-so on the movie, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I feel like uh, he kind of... I mean, I, I saw that he told uh, Rob Zombie to kind of make it his own, and I, I can see him maybe being a little disappointed, because th- there's definitely a lot of, you know, purposeful tribute to the uh, original content. So right. maybe, what do you think? John Carpenter expected him to be more creative or do something else? I think John Carpenter didn't like seeing Michael Myers as a child. Oh, yeah. Like, he's gone yeah. on the record as such, because he's supposed to be the supernatural force of nature, and if you get yeah. the background info, it ruins that. Yeah, yeah. That that was an interesting twist to see. Um, none of the other franchises, like Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, do they ever show... I guess you never see Freddy Krueger as a kid, right? Um, With the fedora. No, not as a kid, but you do get some background there. Okay, and Friday the 13th, uh, they ever go into like Jason as a kid? Um, I don't know, man. We need to we need to watch more of those. I mean, you get the background story of him as a kid and you see a flashback. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's a really interesting move to to go in and like show the, someone as a kid cuz it does kind of make you sympathize a little bit more with the character or at least try to. Right, right, for sure. I haven't listened to many Carpenter like interviews or watched any, but every once in a while I get the impression he's kind of a curmudgeon. <laughs> That's just how you imagine him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, is he is he around still? He is, right? Yeah, yeah, he is. Okay. Yeah, uh, you just like make it your own. And he's like, nah, I didn't like it. Yeah, <laughs> like you shouldn't have done it that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's uh, yeah. allowed to say that and then have a, a criticism as well, but. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like if I was him and like, yeah, you built up like this amazing uh, legacy, a great work, great musician, then yeah, it's like only naturally you'd come to this age and just be a curmudgeon and look down on other people's work. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Maybe he has that right. I would think so. I mean, if yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, did you notice any familiar faces in this movie? <laughs> I saw uh, Sherry Moon. Uh, is that her name? Yep. Sherry Moon Zombie. Yep. Yeah, and uh, were you the one? I think you were telling me that she's actually in every one of his films. Is that right? She is. Yeah, yeah. That's that's crazy. And I think um, after Devil's Rejects, we decided we would start to pay attention to see if her butt was in every one of his movies too. Oh, this is three for three then, right? 
<laughs> it is not the full moon, but it, it's a good chunk of her butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd call that's it a really waxing gibbous. <laughs> I wonder if that's in her contract with the Rob Zombie or something. <laughs> Some part of my butt has to be in all your films. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, like a huge cast here that's like uh, very familiar from either his other work or from like other horror movies, right? Right, yeah. I, um, I don't know if you caught it. two people in movies we just recently watched and did episodes on. Um, Dee Wallace was Laurie Strode's mom, and she played the landlady in The House of the Devil. Oh, wow. I think, yeah, you mentioned that on that. Uh, or was she in something else, too? Yeah, I think she was in... Oh, I can't remember now. Like the howling and critters, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think actually Hills Have Eyes original as well. Oh, yeah. I think that's the one you mentioned, right? And then Sheriff Brackett is played by Brad Dorf, who we just saw in The Exorcist 3. Oh, who's he in The Exorcist 3? He was like the, the Zodiac killer, and he's also the voice of Chucky. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, I, I like that about Rob Zombie. I feel like he pulls people out that have been in the horror genre for a while, like some classic actors. Yeah, cool. I mean, pretty much everybody in, and everybody in Devil's Rejects pretty much was in this. Ken Foray, Danny Trejo, William Forsyth, Sid Haig, Bill Mosley. Yeah. And um, uh, Ken, Ken Foray is from like the original Dawn of Dead or something? Yeah, correct. Cool. And there was a little girl in Halloween 4 named Danielle Harris, and she plays... Annie Brackett in this movie. Oh, wow, nice. Annie Brackett was the sheriff's daughter, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Some nice um, nice tiebacks there. Exactly. And then it was a I don't know if this was done deliberately as a little bit of a a horror movie homage, but David Arquette who plays Deputy Dewey in Scream, his brother Richmond Arquette played a deputy in this movie. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, you know, watching this, I, I, it kind of reminded me of Scream, uh, like Loomis. I think his character reminds me a lot of like uh, Gale in Scream, like that that idea of like this person who's like uh, written or like, you know, gotten some kind of publicity off the first series of kills and now is back. Uh, do, do you think like there's big inspiration there in, in the movie Scream? Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Kind of, kind of like the, the the people like come back and like trying to like scare everyone, like warn everyone, like how how big of a threat this is, and they're around the first time. Right, right. Uh, yeah, saw some more flop there. Huh. Cool. But interesting. Uh, uh, did did you see that idea for this to be like a mashup where they were gonna bring like Pinhead from Hellraiser, and like it was gonna be like a like a Jason Bruschetti thing, but it was gonna be Pinhead versus uh, Michael Myers. Yeah, I think Dimension. Uh, Dimension Films had that idea. I couldn't tell if that was like around the time of this movie or a while back. Oh, okay. And they like put it yeah. on their website and had fans vote, and everyone was like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I kind of would have been interested to see that. That, that wouldn't have been the most uh, in, uninteresting thing. What do What do you think? I think the Freddy Jason mashup. Well, personally, I didn't really like that movie, but I think that works better because they both have gotten more jokey than Michael Myers ever did. Okay. Yeah. I don't think Pinhead ever got jokey, did he? Uh, I don't know, man. We got to see those, too. I've only seen oh, that man. first one. Okay. I don't think Fair. he did, but yeah, it's hard for me to picture. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he doesn't seem... It seems like a hard one to get away with. Yeah. Uh, any other background info before we uh, start spoiling things and walk through the plot and review as we go? 
Um, one thing that uh, yeah, we might talk about later, though. Uh, I know at the time this was the longest uh, length Halloween movie because um, it like it runs, I think, a bit over two hours. Um, is that? Do you know if that's still the case? Good question, man. I have a feeling 2018 was pretty close to two hours long. Oh, okay, okay. I have a feeling this might still hold the record. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right, well... Uh, Yeah, nothing else. Okay, well then I will do what we always do. Uh, We have our friend Alex, uh, an Ohio native, connect every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio, and he got it down to our hometown this time, so... Alex, who, by the way, owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. You can go there, pick up some beer, wine, or food in your car, or go hang out on their socially distanced patio. Ooh, and they're on Grubhub now if you're in in the Cleveland area. So get some pierogies from there on Grubhub. But Alex says the soundtrack for Rob Zombie's Halloween pays homage to films and the Halloween series with its musical selections. Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult, for example, was included in the original Halloween, while the 1950s classic Mr. Sandman was part of the original Halloween 2 and Halloween H2O. Written by Pat Ballard in 1954, Mr. Sandman was first recorded by Vaughn Monroe and his orchestra as an instrumental before being re-recorded and popularized by pop groups The Four Aces and The Chardettes. No, The Chordettes. Beyond his role as bandleader, Vaughn Monroe was an American baritone singer, trumpeter, actor, and businessman, popular in the 1940s and 50s, and distinguished with two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Wow, big deal. One for recording yeah. and another for radio performance. And Vaughn Monroe was born in Akron, Ohio. Whoa, no way. Yeah. What a journey, awesome. Alex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, wow. that's a good one. I wonder what he's doing with all this knowledge. Like, he's uncovering all these random facts. <laughs> it's amazing. For sure, man. He's got a weird niche that nobody else has. Yeah, I know. I imagine him like hanging out at his bar, just like telling people this random stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's just even before the coronavirus, he was doing that, and the bar was completely empty. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's awesome. You know, I've never heard that song, Mr. Sandman, outside of the Halloween franchise. Have you? Really? Of course, I have. Really? Where? Like, is it is it like huge in pop culture? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What's it about? Is it? Is it supposed to be like a scary song? <laughs> no, but I, it works. I think it's just about <laughs> going to sleep, I guess. Going to sleep? Like, I, I, I don't get it. Like, is Mr. Sandman like uh, like someone who helps? Like, a, like I, yeah. What, what is he? I think he's like a, uh, a night ghoul, a benevolent oh. night ghoul that comes and brings you sleep. Oh, okay. Like, like the BFG or something. I think that's why you have like... I think people call and eye boogers like sand in your eyes, maybe. Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you know the Metallica song, Enter Sandman? Yeah. Is that what that's about? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Kind of. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, man. Right. Well, uh, <laughs> shall we go off to Never Never Land and start walking through the plot and spoil things? <laughs> Anybody who hasn't seen it and wants to should duck out now. Let's do it. Yep. Okay. You know what, though, man? Uh, shoot. Can I call you back? I've got a call on the other line that I think I'd better take. Oh, okay. Sure. All right. Cool. I'll call you right back. All right. All right.
Hey, man, I'm back. Hey, everything okay? Yeah, yeah, that was just this guy, uh, Ben Tramer. My wife recently told him I have a crush on him, and I guess we're kind of talking now. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, is he, he's really into you? Yeah, I think he likes my bookishness and quiet demeanor. Oh, man, who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Adrian's not going to get that, or it's going to take him a minute. Yeah, it's a good thing. That was uh, that was the friend of uh, Annie's, right? That was into uh, uh, Lori. Or, yeah. yeah, Lori. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So this movie, uh, it's interesting the way it does this, but it eventually hits so many of the beats of the original. I know, I know, and it's kind of misleading because the, the way it starts, you think it's going in a whole different path, and then it just kind of falls in line uh, as the movie goes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll talk more about that in our review. Yep. Uh, so we will walk through the plot a little bit, not beat by beat, but the general plot and kind of say what we like and don't like as we go. Um, so it starts out with Michael as a young boy living with an annoying sister and a jerk of a mom's. Well, his mom is not a jerk, but her boyfriend is a total jerk. They both treat him like crap. So he's living with them, his mom and his baby sister. And his baby sister and mom are the only two people he really seems to care about. Hey, did you know from the beginning that was his baby sister? I, I could have sworn it was his baby brother. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah, I assumed it was his baby sister because that's kind of the the backstory oh. from oh. Halloween too, right? Oh, okay, okay. That Got Lori it. is his baby sister. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And this starts out as a very Rob Zombie movie vibe, right? Like kind of this dysfunctional, trashy family. Totally, man. He can't get away from that. Like every one of his movies has like the set of characters that are just kind of, uh, yeah, gross and like, um, yeah, terrible people. Yeah. Yeah. Like generally not the nicest people. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just really crude and rude to each other and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's felt overly Rob, Rob Zombie here. Yeah. And to point out the obvious, this is the only movie ever where Michael has actually spoken. Mm-hmm. So he's bullied at school as well, and he finally snaps and kills the bully in the woods while walking home from school. We also learn at some point that from the principal at school that he, Michael, has killed animals. Uh, he, what did you th- what did you think of that scene where he kills that kid? Man, that was pretty brutal. Yeah, it was kind of hard to watch because he's wearing like that clown mask too. Yeah, and he's just like going to town on that kid. Yeah, and I mean the kid's a jerk, but it's still a kid, you know. Yeah, um, and by the end he's like weeping and begging for his life and everything. Uh, did you feel like it came out of nowhere, or like at that point did you feel like uh, we knew enough about like his character where like this seemed like a logical next step? I think it seemed like a logical next step. Yeah, after like the cat or, or whatever he thing he killed. What, what was that animal? Yeah, I think it was killed? a cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess. Cat and we know it's Michael Myers. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then later that night at home, he snaps even harder and kills his mom's boyfriend by like taping him up while he's passed out and slitting his throat he kills his sister and his sister's boyfriend his sister's boyfriend was another one that was just surprisingly like brutal and real to me oh with the with like the bat yeah he hits him with the bat and then the kid's like twitching on the floor yeah yeah well unforced deaths are like more brutal to me for some reason i can just picture it more yeah i know it's it's it takes a lot of it like you know there's like a lot of like energy going into it yeah you can like kind of feel the weight of it. Yeah, and I mean, like I've never been stabbed, but I've certainly been hit in the head pretty hard before. Like, <laughs> I don't know if that makes it more real or what. It's more relatable. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and so this is kind of how the mask's origin in this movie. He's wearing the clown mask, and then his sister's boyfriend to like pull a prank on her was wearing the traditional Michael Michael Myers mask, and he finds it and picks it up, puts it on. Yeah, which I mean, like I know part of what Rob Zombie was trying to do here was create like some backstory for like why the mask uh, is even there. But uh, did, was that like like does that still make sense to you? Like that this guy just comes over and wants to have sex wearing that mask. Is that that's the backstory? <laughs> is that it? Was that was that the gist of it? Yeah, that's the gist. But there's also another layer there. Like even when we first see Michael come downstairs and sit at the kitchen table, his mom's the mom's boyfriend is ragging on him because he's wearing a mask. Like. Oh it's, yeah, and then they kind of allude to the fact that he's always wearing masks and collect collecting masks. Like it's a big thing to him. Yeah, yeah, that part's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, um, which they go into later as like part of his, you know, condition or whatever you want to call it. Like mm-hmm. he kind of disassociates and uses the masks to kind of hide. Right. So. The mom, played by Sherry Moon Zombie, comes home to this pretty tragic scene. Her whole family is dead except for the baby who he has spared and Michael. He's holding the baby on the front porch when she gets home. Um, A lot more effective to me than that. Like, I love the original, but the parents come home and actually Lights, Camera, No just did an episode on Halloween. and They talk about Mm -hmm. how the parents come home and they're just like, Michael, (laughs) like, (laughs) what have you done? Yeah. And then it like freeze frames. They all just stand there perfectly still in the front lawn in the original. But this one's like way more tragic. The mom's screaming. You see his older sister get wheeled away on a gurney while she's crying over it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's interesting because like in the, in the original, this was like the first five minutes of the movie and here, like we're like a half 40, half an hour into it. Right. And on this. Yeah. Right. They took the first five minutes of this movie, the original and turned it into like an hour of, of movie here. Yeah, and you thought that was like more effective. I thought it was the best place to go with. I think it was. These movies are effective in two different ways, right? Like, the original is just kind of creepy and eerie and efficient and suspenseful, yeah. and you don't understand Michael. And this one is kind of more like sad, tragic, and brutal. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's like a lot more misery here. Yeah, and uh, yeah. It's it's hard though because you're not like really empathizing with these characters that he's killing because yeah they're set up to be like pretty terrible people. Right, you're kind of you're empathizing with Michael at least I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, um, do you, do you think anything there was any uh, connection to the candy corn that he was playing with before right before he started killing people? I mean, candy corn sucks pretty bad. I, I can right? see myself killing somebody. <laughs> yeah. If no one took you trick-or-treating and all you had was a bag of candy yeah, corn. Yeah, not, not only did his sister not take him tra- trick-or-treating, but he got a whole bunch of candy corn. <laughs> all right, now I know what sets you up. like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's dead now. <laughs> um, so he is taken away. He's locked up in Smith's Grove Sanitarium where he meets his psychologist, Dr. Loomis, who seems like a genuine and caring person, and they develop a relationship. And I thought this was a nice uh, way to play it, too. Like, you see Loomis, like, kind of hugging him and, you know, being affectionate with him, and they really have kind of a sweet relationship, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I like uh, the, the relationship that they build. And, uh, yeah, I guess it starts off pretty sweet. I, and I, I Michael's pretty sweet in the hospital, too. He seems to not remember what happened. Right, right, Yeah. Which is really interesting because, yeah, he, like, asks his mom, like, how's everyone at home doing? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
And uh, he starts to become more reclusive and stops speaking uh, and becomes obsessed with making these paper mache masks. And it was all kind of brought on by Danny Trejo, who is a guard there, like kind of, he's kind to Michael and he's like, hey man, I've, I've spent some time behind walls and you've got to just be inside your own mind. There's no walls that can stop you there. Like, oh, got to look beyond the walls. And that's when he becomes a bit more insular. Huh, I didn't tie that uh, that conversation to like Michael's behavior. That's yeah, so I mean, I don't know how much is meant to be like, hey, it all happened because Danny Trejo Danny said Trejo. this, but, or yeah. that just kind of like is a hint to lead you down. A way yeah. to tell you where Michael's going since Michael can't tell you himself. Sure, yeah, kind of like a survival technique or something. Yeah, yep. Um, so things go south. He won't even talk to his mom, and after one of her visits, like Loomis needs to talk to his mom, so he's like, nurse would you come sit with michael for a second and he kills the nurse and again it's a pretty sad scene like loomis and and the mom are both traumatized and uh then later after that the mom's back home sherry moon zombie she's watching a slide show of michael as a kid and she shoots herself and you hear the baby crying in the background yeah that was rough yeah yeah, so and some, somewhere go. in there was an appearance of Sherry Moon's butt. She works as a, a stripper. <laughs> the obligatory. Yeah. But, per yeah. her contract. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, hey, what did you think of the uh, attack scene at the uh, hospital? Um, I thought it was well done. Like, I can't remember, like, the brutality of it, but I just remember... Loomis and Sherry Moon Zombie, like, getting on an elevator and seeing guards, like, run over and like getting yeah. off the elevator like just the look in their eyes if they know something's gone horribly wrong and i remember it being more tragic than than gory or brutal but what what are, is your memory of it yeah yeah i think right i mean i think what was really cool is like at first it shows like michael just like picking up the fork and then it jumps like security camera footage of him going over and like stabbing uh that woman so oh, that right. was kind of a cool effect and then you just see people like the aftermath of it basically yeah so that wraps up the first half of the movie with him as a kid, and then we cut to Michael as an adult. He's still in the facility, um, and Dr. Loomis drops him as a patient. He gives kind of a heartfelt apology to him and says he's like his best friend, um, and he ends up writing a book called The Devil's Eyes, The Story of Michael Myers. And Michael escapes when these two guards are, well, they do rape a uh, another inmate, a woman, and he they come into his room and like try to get him in on it or something and he kills them and escapes. That part made no sense to me. Like, why would you go into that guy's room? Yeah. Did, did that make sense to you? No, but that guard had really been provoking him earlier. Yeah. 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 Um, and it, you also get a sense of like how big Michael Myers is uh, here. Yeah. Yeah. He's a huge guy. And the actor, shoot, what's his name again? Tyler Maine, six foot yeah. eight. Yeah, I know. Giants. He's a big dude. Um, and so Michael, you see that he doesn't kill the baby when he's young and he's nice to his mom and this guard, Danny Trejo has always been nice to him and defended him. And so you get a moment where you think he's not going to kill Danny Trejo's character. And then sure enough, he does anyway. And you kind of realize that a, a, maybe a switch has flipped here. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I think that was kind of like the, the litmus test maybe to show like, does he still have like some kind of morality in him and is he still targeting certain people versus others? But yeah, this is kind of like an eye opener when he killed that guy. Yeah. Yep. 
um, and his mood ring was purple while he did it, so you know he was oh. pissed. <laughs> I'm glad they at least put that on him. <laughs> yeah, to, to track his mood throughout. Another clue. It's yeah, there, it's throughout the whole movie. We you can see it if you look closely. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it and now it's interesting because you have all this backstory. This added a lot of new dimension to Michael, and now it just falls right into step of the original. Like right, almost. I want to say almost exactly, but I and I don't mean it as an insult. It like hits all the beats, but does comes at them from slightly different angles. And to me, it was enough to make it really interesting. But what did you think? Um, I don't know. Like at some point, like you realize that it's going down the same routes, and then you're kind of just waiting for it to like to check the boxes uh, that you know the original one hit. So uh, yeah, I kind of felt like it dragged a little bit once it got into like the main uh, content, which was. Huge overlap with the uh, original. Okay. All right. All right. Um, so yeah, like like in the original, Michael's kind of looming in the background, stalking Lori. You got the three friends: Lori, Annie, and uh, Linda. The babysitting gigs and stuff. And you had the Linda and Bob murder again. And you see Bob go downstairs and come back, and like something comes back upstairs with the ghost sheet on and glasses. And in the original movie, that's, of course, Michael. But in this one, you don't really know who it is. And then Michael just pops out and stabs him, like, immediately. Oh, yeah. I thought that was real. Like, that was when I'm like, I'm, I'm here for this. Like, repeating all the really? same steps, but a little bit differently. Because it just surprised me. So, uh, wait, in the first one, the boyfriend never dressed as the ghost? No, it's it's Michael, right? He goes downstairs, oh. he gets killed, and then Michael comes up yeah, with a sheet yeah. and wearing his glasses. Right. Oh, that's that's an interesting play on it, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you like it now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, yeah. I mean, if you look at it in the, that context, uh, yeah, I, I guess you're right. Like a uh, sl- slight plays on the on the original. That, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And another new element is that I think Michael watches Lori leave her house to go to the babysitting gig, and then he goes in and kills her parents. Um, which yeah. Which is new. We never really see much of Lori's parents in the first one. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And, and Loomis is now headed to Haddonfield with Sheriff Brackett, and we learn the origin story a bit that Sheriff Brackett walked in on that suicide, Sherry Moon Zombie's suicide, and saw that the baby was there, an orphan to like this horrible tragedy, and probably would have been like, you know, famous in all the wrong ways. And he drove the baby to an ER like an hour away or something, and never like put in the record that there was a baby there. Mm-hmm. And this baby was later adopted by the Strodes, was Lori Strode. How do you think uh, Michael knows that that's his younger sister? You know, he, she goes to the house and drops something through the mail uh, mm-hmm. hole, whatever you call those things. <laughs> mail hole, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right in your mail hole. Yeah. <laughs> um, this mail hole is in the front of the house. And uh, so Michael drops it in and, or no, she drops it in and Michael picks it up and smells it. And so I don't know if maybe he could <laughs> smell yet. Yeah. For some reason, whenever anyone's like a murderous psycho, you just, I assume in the movie that they have a heightened sense of smell because it's a creepy <laughs> sense to have heightened. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> smell, not not necessarily a sight or hearing. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, <laughs> so I thought that's how he knew. Okay, he smelled her. The smell, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she had that Meyer smell. <laughs> But, uh, I don't know. I was, I'm about that, to say something that could be perceived as kind of creepy. 
I feel like if I never saw, and I know that this, that Lori wasn't his kid, but if yeah. somehow like my baby got taken away from me right now and I like smelled them 20 years later, I would know. That's amazing. Really? Yeah. I, th- I think a- smells the scent tied uh, closest to memory. That makes sense. I mean, that, that's how I'm sure a lot of animals do it, right? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Or even now I'll smell something and I'll be like, oh, that's like smells exactly like my friend from grade school's house or like that yeah. person uses the same laundry detergent as my best friends from second grade sure yeah yeah no they're definitely like yeah the, you smell something or like you can remember a smell really well that yeah. makes sense okay i think we've established we're both murderous psychopaths <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh so annie and paul are also attacked paul's killed annie is still kind of struggling and Lori comes across annie struggling when she goes to take Lindsay back to her house um, and instead of killing Lori right up front, he kidnaps Lori and takes her back to his childhood home, which is in shambles. Uh, and there was a really good kill in here where Lori is in locked in the bathroom with Tommy and Lindsay and there's oh, yeah. a deputy outside the door. Like, it's okay. He's not here. Come out. And then you just see the deputy, like it slammed into the door and blood pouring down. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Well done. Yeah. Uh, and that was just another scene where I like made a note, like this is like the same, but different enough and choreographed differently that I'm, I'm interested in a minute, still surprised by some things. Yeah. I, I was surprised that the police showed up to that house though. Cause, uh, she was at the other house when she dialed 911, then she ran back and the police came to the right house. But, um, I don't know. Did, did you understand why that happened? Well, they were across the street and I think the door was open and Annie was screaming. Oh, okay, okay. I think. Yeah, and that brought the police in. Yeah. Um, okay. And so, like, Michael has Laurie trapped in his basement prison, essentially, now, and shows him the picture of him when he was 10 and her when she was a baby, and she doesn't understand what this is or what he's doing. She breaks free, and there's a big chase, kind of some back and forth between them. Loomis shows up and gets in on the action, and it basically ends with... Lori and Michael falling out a two-story, second-story window. She lands on top of him and ends up shooting him, presumably in the head because you see a splash of blood hit her face. Right. And then we hear sirens and she's screaming and the movie ends. Yeah, that was a pretty cool ending. Somewhere in here, I could have sworn I saw Michael gouge Loomis's eyes out. Yeah. And then in the next scene, his eyes were fine. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. It looked like he killed Loomis uh, when, like, he took Lori into that house. But then, yeah, Lori, uh, he was fine, and he helped uh, Lori escape. I think. Yeah, that weirded me out. I may have seen that wrong. Yeah, um, and I think the movie also fakes you out because uh, one, like, the first time uh, Loomis saves her, uh, they have that whole dialogue from the first one where, like, was he the boogeyman? And what does Loomis say? Like, that? I think it's a famous line he says. Yeah, like something like, as a matter of fact, it was. Like, I do right. believe it was. And that's, like, where the first movie ended, right? Yeah, yeah. That was, like, the, the relief and the come down when the movie was ending. And then that happens here, and Michael breaks through the car window and steals yep. Lori away. Right, right. Wait, uh, does is Loomis dead at the end? I, I don't remember. I think he's still alive. Okay. And Annie Brackett's okay. still alive. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And Lori. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. Um, so what do you think about this movie? 
Um, you know, I, I think it was fun and like stylish, and, like a cool action and stuff. Um, but I think because like it, it fell uh, in line so much with the original, uh, it kind of gave you this, the sense that, uh, like you knew what was going to happen basically. I, I get your point. Like they have two or three twists along the way, which keep it a little bit fresh. But, you know, he had, like, an open book here, and I think he could have done, like, a lot of different things. And I was surprised he, like, stuck so close to the source material for the most part. And then, yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier, it kind of feels like a, two movies. You got, like, one, which is all this backstory, and two, where, like, none of the backstory even really matters. Um, so, like, did the backstory even, like, accomplish what it's supposed to? Uh, I'm not too sure. But I, what do you think? Hmm. Fair criticism. I think that makes the confrontations between Loomis and Michael at the end... Um more interesting even if they don't like have a whole lot of emotional exchange that, but they kind of do you know like Loomis says mm-hmm. some some stuff trying to cut to the core of Michael um, and you know you, you're really wondering what's going on in Michael's head when he grabs Lori and like doesn't kill her and shows her the picture like yeah, is he trying to tell her that he loves her or like what does he want to happen does he want to kill her or, or what does yeah. he want them to just live in this house together and eat dogs <laughs> <laughs> just like a normal family <laughs> uh that yeah that that's interesting um because yeah they, they, there's like that added layer of like hearts in it i guess since you know like uh what was important to him as a kid and maybe he's trying to in a way play up that fantasy which wasn't in the original at all um so maybe, maybe there's more justification like why he even comes back to said haddonfield is that where this happens yeah yeah um yeah i guess it does add kind of a layer of emotional complexity then are you but um, I mean, he is so different right now. Like, uh, we know early in the film, like maybe he did have like a soft spot for some people, but after seeing him like kill Danny Trejo and I'm assuming like he would kill Loomis cause like the two months or something they bonded 15 years ago, maybe he's kind of forgotten about it. Doesn't really care that much about. So is his character in the future really that tied to who he was before? I don't think they were, uh, Loomis and his relationship was a long time, right? It wasn't until... He was like twenty in his twenties that Loomis gave up on him. Yeah, but remember in that conversation, Loomis is like, "You haven't said a word for fifteen years." Yeah, yeah, but you know, you can still have a relationship with someone without talking. <laughs> that's actually an ideal relationship. <laughs> that works out. That's that's the best kind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't know. Like Loomis, like as a character, I, and, and this maybe was a flaw with the original story. But like, why does he have like this like huge soft spot or like this boner for uh, for for Michael? Like he's he's all about him when Michael really doesn't give him that much. <laughs> it's funny that a soft spot and a boner can mean the same thing, but a boner yeah, is not a weird? soft spot. <laughs> yeah, it's a quite quite hard usually. It's a hard spot. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's a psychologist. He's a child psychologist. And Michael was a kid. Like, Michael was so sweet when, you know, he was asking how everybody was at home and everything like that. Like, he's just, yeah. he's got, like, mental issues, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, yeah. So he took pity on him at, at, like, a young age and that kind of had the bond then? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's a pity okay. boner. See, <laughs> yeah. And and so you felt like that backstory like complemented the present day story pretty strongly. I thought it did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I get like John Carpenter's point that like Michael is just a ruthless meaningless like you don't even understand him, just pure evil type of thing, but but that wasn't what this movie was and I think that was a cool way to take it. I just feel like so much had been done with the other premise not to say they're totally different premises but they kind of are emotionally 
They, yeah. I, I mean, you know, the biggest appeal for Michael uh, is like he is this kind of uh, cold-blooded, um, like, you know, no rationale like you never know um like yeah he's, he does he's not supposed to like be like a, an emotional guy at all and he's just like a cold-blooded killer who's just like out to like hunt people um so you don't, you don't feel like that backstory kind of diminished his scare or his value i think it made him scary in a different way like i don't think so far every halloween movie i've seen fails to capture the looming like leering creepiness of Michael Myers ex- as well as the original did. Mm-hmm. And that just like silent menace hasn't been captured that well since then. So I think that to sure. try to capture that same scariness may have been pointless. And what Rob Zombie did was go a completely different route and made him scary in a different way. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I could see that. Um, but yeah, I, I hear it, what you're saying. It's not, you know, the suspense isn't as much there. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. It, and, and the kid, the kid on his own was like pretty scary too. Yeah, he was. And it was thought, a, a weird, like it was complex because he, the kid was scary, but the kid was also sweet and you felt bad for him. And yeah. 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 It's an interesting new light of, of like Michael, uh, to seem, seem like that. But then I, I just feel like by the time he's like older and he breaks out, He's just like your normal Michael that you know from other films, um, with the exception of like yeah taking um, uh, or like yeah looking for Lori and like trying to not kill her at first. Yeah, I I do think like what is a part of Michael is like his supernaturalness and his supernatural strength, and I mm-hmm. think that Tyler Maine's performance with it and the fact that he's so huge like yeah brings like that physicality brings something new to that element like. Yeah, right. He's more like the superhuman Jason type thing. Just like yeah. punching through walls and stuff. Yeah, that does seem like all scarier and it like adds a little more meat to that uh, idea that like you can't take this guy down. Yeah, yeah. What did Makes you sense. think of the new Laurie Strode? Not a fan. I, yeah. I didn't think she compared to, uh, J- yeah, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, did, what, what about you? That was the most underwhelming part of the movie for me. But <laughs> I'm glad that the focus seemed to be more on... Loomis and Michael. Yeah. Like, I don't even know that the original script for the original Halloween, or like, basically just the movie on paper doesn't really even make Laurie that strong of a character. It's kind of just Jamie Lee Curtis's performance, in my opinion, that really elevates that character. Sure. So I feel like that was another, like, pitfall he could have fallen into, like trying to make Laurie the center. And she was still a big part of it, but really to me it was it was Loomis and Michael. Yeah, yeah. But isn't that kind of what made the first movie work so well is you have this main character that, like, you're bonded with and that, like, I mean, she was really likable and her performance was great. And in this one, the victim, like, I, I don't know, I couldn't give two shits about her, could you? No, no, but I, I cared more about Michael and, and Loomis and that was enough for me. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, so the whole movie, like, even uh, through, like, the second half, you were on, like, Michael's side, like, rooting for him? <laughs> no, but, like, interested in his plight. <laughs> and like a little bit what was going on inside Michael and just inside and interested in honestly the second part of the movie for me was a bit more just popcorny and fun yeah yeah just like okay they're hitting all these beats but a little different let's let's see where they go sure yeah and the first uh, one was more emotionally impactful yeah I guess you're right this one does kind of come at it at a more different angle and it is a little bit more popcorny yeah 
Um, but yeah, I, I feel like scare wise, like I, I, I think the first one or the original is scarier just because you don't know like why he's doing what he's doing. And, um, it is so like menacing, uh, and in this one, like once a, once a villain has a plan, I feel like they become less scarier because then it's like, well, you're rational enough to like come up with like an idea or like a, a goal or something. Yeah. Yeah. But then like at the same time, some of the things that you could make that argument about Michael, like arranging elaborate scenes in the first one with like headstones and people placed at certain places and oh man i missed that on this one <laughs> we didn't get to see any like works of art did we i mean we saw like everything that michael did for the most part you know which oh the kills right yeah well i mean we didn't see him like arranging anything behind the although he did still hang like paul up from the ceiling with a jack-o'-lantern on his head oh yeah yeah right so that was pretty cool he still has a flair for the dramatic and set design <laughs> can't take that out of him <laughs> um speaking of which the production design i think that's another area where uh, rob zombie excels in my opinion sure yeah great feel production design w- w- what about like the cinematography like did you care for that yeah i thought it was uh i feel like compared to the other two movies we've seen he showed a bit more restraint with that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um I think, you know, remember House of a Thousand Corpses was like montage at points and yeah. Rejects had scenes um, that went on way too long or like extended slow motion for no real reason. And this one right. just really flowed and was cohesive and um, not too much stood out to me about the cinematography, but I think sometimes that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Especially for Rob Zombie. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it was weird. enabling the story instead of distracting it like it has in his prior distracting from it like it did a little bit for me in his last two movies sure sure that makes sense yeah there was one thing uh, i think he kept doing in this film where like every time there was an action scene or like someone getting beaten up or killed uh, the camera would become very shaky to kind of emulate um you know like yeah the action happening and i couldn't tell if i was 100 percent on board with it or not did you notice that yeah i don't know that i was 100 percent on board either but i think it could have been he could have hit it even harder than he did like yeah i think he he pulled back a little <laughs> bit on that, but uh, yeah, I hear yeah. you. I didn't always love it, but it wasn't egregious <laughs> compared to like where he's coming from. It's we'll yeah. take it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, would you think of like the breast count since like that seems to be a running thing in his movies? Boy, there was really a lot of nudity in this one. I know. I think everyone he could get naked, he got naked on this one. Yeah, and I think Danielle Harris. Part of the reason she thought she took the part was just because she said that she'd be willing to be naked for that long. Because, I mean, <laughs> she's nude for like, or topless at least, for like half of her screen time. Yeah. Is that the the first friend that gets killed? That's, no, that's Annie. Um, oh, Annie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. um, and she, I think part of the reason she wanted to do that was because she felt she kind of got pigeonholed, like as a child actress playing Jamie in the fourth one. Ah, okay. Speaking of child actresses getting naked because they feel they're pigeonholed for their childhood roles, um, (laughs) I have no idea if that's the way this actress felt, but Hannah Hall played young Jenny in Forrest Gump, who played Judith Myers in this. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Also, an extended topless scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In Forrest Gump? (laughs) In this. Oh, and this. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, she was uh, like eight in Forrest Gump. Oh, okay. Uh, wait, which one? Which one was Judith Myers? Uh, Michael's older sister that he killed at the beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's just some really signature Rob Zombie stuff uh, in this. Like, yeah, the, those characters in the beginning, and then, yeah, the, the breasts throughout. Um, they, it was obviously, like, a lot gorier than the original, right? Yeah, yeah, and I was... I, it, it makes you wonder, too, these movies are definitely, like, a product of their time, you know, like, pre-2010-ish or something, and I'm like... Mm-hmm. I, I'm interested to see his newer movies, like... Is he still making movies like this? Are people in general still making movies like this? There's a lot in here that people would be afraid to put into a movie today, yeah. today's culture, it seems. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, just some of the sexual assaults he's put like between this and Rejects are pretty oh my God. pretty intense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. If there's one guy that's still doing it, I feel like it's this guy. Yeah. Yeah. But he is, he is a vegetarian, in, in case, oh, in is case he? that matters. Yeah. He got a letter from PETA, the VP of PETA sent him a letter thanking him for this movie um, and for like including the fact that young Michael was violent to animals. <laughs> like wanted, he was like, thanks for drawing attention to like people who commit acts of cruelty to animals who are likely to move on to humans and it's a big oh, deal. That's crazy. I would have thought PETA would have been like pissed off that like that was even portrayed here. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wrote him a nice letter. Wished him luck in his career. <laughs> that's awesome that's a big win yeah uh okay man so let's see uh zero to five paper mache masks what do you give this uh paper machete masks paper mache oh paper mache (laughs) okay uh paper mache masks i'd give this uh two and a half out of five paper mache masks i I, you know and i think i'm I'm biased because i I love the original one so much and it it was so great such a short runtime such a basic premise and i feel like this guy came in he had like an open book he could have done whatever he wanted and he just like loaded it up in all maybe the wrong ways and kind of blew up a a formula that like is, is so um perfect in a way and like uh tried to like make it too big and too expansive and I, I don't feel like it landed. Uh, but um, yeah, it was a fun watch, though. It was like pretty popcorn worthy, as you mentioned. But yeah, I'd go with two and a half. I'm going to go with four. Oh, man. I almost okay. went four and a half. <laughs> yeah. I love this movie. I, I think it's great. Like, I think he really took that advice. He made it his own. And I don't think there was a better way to go with it. Like, if there was, I mean, there were certainly worse ways to go with it. Like, yeah, I thought it was a great touch talking about his life before he became the killer. It was a totally different take on Michael Myers, but I think it worked. Yeah. Um, and then, like, after all that trauma and hard stuff to watch, like, you know, beating and killing kids and stuff, it really, not that they got less brutal or anything, but then it just got fun and popcorny for me, like, hitting a lot of the beats, but in fun new ways. Um, mm-hmm. And just, like, a touch of Rob Zombie on every aspect of it. And I think it just had a lot of this stuff that I liked about his first two movies put into just way more of a cohesive, (laughs) grounded, coherent movie. Like, yeah, I just dug it. I I think part of that is I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. I just, and it's so, we haven't talked about it, but it's so uh, polarizing. There's so many people that seem to hate it among horror movie right. fans. Um, yeah. So I wasn't expecting to like it. That could have been part of it. But I just think it was a really competent, well-made movie. The acting was really good. Everybody aside from, um, not to call her out by name, but Scout Taylor Compton as Laurie, I did not think that was a very good performance. 
Rob sure. Zombie liked her because she wasn't very actory. I can see that, but I, I think she was also just not very good. <laughs> By not actory, you mean not like a good actor. Yeah, I mean that good. <laughs> I but, like <laughs> but I thought every other performance was was really good, and uh, I just dug it, man. I liked it. It was two yeah. hours and like two separate movies, but somehow it still didn't even feel long to me. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I I felt like it. It felt along to me just because like you know what's gonna happen once it uh, hits hits like the the main movie. Um, but yeah, you, you you felt like it was well paced throughout. Yeah, yeah, and I mean you do and you don't. Like, I didn't know that Annie's parents were gonna or that uh, Lori's parents were gonna get brutally murdered. I didn't know Annie was gonna live and be like bleeding on the floor topless for half the movie. Like, yeah, that ghost thing was the shocker to me. It, it, enough of it surprised me and, and kept me on my toes. Sure. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, one uh, thing, though, um, you know, his goal here was obviously to provide more backstory to Michael Myers. Um, and, yeah, it seems like you, you enjoy that part of, you know, the, seeing that intro and, like, getting some of that character arc. Um, but is, like, do you feel like you have more of a backstory? Like, do we still know why he was, like, a psycho? And uh, Loomis, like, calling this guy, like, the demon, basically, or saying, like, he, he's, he's, like, this evil uh, entity or whatever. Um, is any of that even explained, even though he, we have a backstory here? No, I mean, we do have a backstory that he's, you know, got a very similar backstory to a lot of serial killers. Just something's not right. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's there's like a, a term for it that isn't coming into my head right now, like a medical term. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I there are like psychopaths, terms. sociopaths. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. That he went from that to like being pure evil, kind of, um, and supernatural strength, pretty much. You know, he picked up a headstone that they said weighed like hundreds yeah. of pounds and carried it. Right, um, right. So yeah, there's still a lot that's unexplained, but I think that we have more of an emotional background on the character. Yeah, yeah. Well, what is the emotional background? I mean, so we're led to believe like he is the way he is because family being bullied at school. Uh, those type of issues, like you think, kind of fill that gap around, and that's why Michael Myers is a serial killer or something. Yeah, maybe perfect storm. I'm sure genetics had have something to do with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. To, to me, it's still like, like, well, why was this kid um, like the way he was, and like, because because it kind of start like the opening scene is like still the the kid in the and I think in his bathroom, uh, maybe like killing a rat or something, and so I you know I get the goal was like to go back so many years, but. Uh, I could have guessed that Michael Myers maybe as a kid was kind of abnormal too. So I, I don't know if this like answered any other uh, questions I had about his character. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, maybe it doesn't answer questions, but it just makes uh, makes the story a bit more tragic. You know, there, there's a point in the movie where you feel sorry for Michael. Yeah, yeah. And especially like the mom and, and the family. Yeah, yeah. Especially for right. the mom. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before we end, I want to also say... Malcolm McDowell was awesome as Loomis, I thought. Oh, yeah. Hey, isn't he just like, uh, who's that other guy who plays like Hannibal Lecter? Uh, does he remind you of Anthony Hopkins? Yeah, does he remind you of Anthony Hopkins? Um, no, not really. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was Anthony Hopkins the whole time. <laughs> Are you sure? They, I mean, they're both are like old British dudes, right? Yeah, I mean, that's about it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think there's something there. 
<laughs> yeah, but I, I liked him though. He's he's a cool actor. Yeah. I I don't know. Like I don't feel like his like love and like connection that he felt uh, with Michael Myers. It it felt a little like weird and forced to me. Like why is this creepy older dude like so into this young serial killer kid? Um, it definitely felt like a. It, to me, it felt like a one way relationship. Interesting. All right. But yeah, uh, you, you didn't think so. You thought it was like balanced. Well, I mean, as balanced as it could be with Michael being the type of person he was. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you want from him? I don't know. Christmas cards or, I don't know, sock exchanges. <laughs> Something. Candy corn? Yeah, candy corn. Go back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, man. Well, we're running long. Any, anything else you really want to get in here? I think we agree to disagree. Yeah, I know. I, I think I'm good for now. I'll bring it up <laughs> on future episodes. All right. You sure you don't want to hit that Anthony Hopkins stuff harder? <laughs> I'll bring it back. I'm pretty sure that was Anthony Hopkins. We, like, we still have a Halloween 2 episode for Patreon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, tune in when we uh, when I convince Brian that was Anthony Hopkins all the time. <laughs> the first line of that episode is just me going, my God, he was right. <laughs> I hope so. All right. Well, this has been our strange episode on Halloween from 2007. Uh, we hope you all have a happy and safe and as fun as it can be in these weird times Halloween. Uh, if you like the show, you can give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find our show. We really appreciate it. You can connect with us at horrormovieclub.com. We have links to all of our socials there. There's a link to email us. We also have a Discord server with the link right there on the social link section of our website. You can come hang out with us on there and lots of fun, great people to interact with and find other podcasts. So many other people on our server have podcasts of their own that are all great. Um, let's see, our cover art is done by Amy May Pop Art. You can find her at Etsy.com. Just search for Amy May Pop Art, all one word. And we have Patreon, patreon.com slash horror movie club, where you can find Halloween 2 episode and a few other bonus episodes that we've put out there. And I think that's about it. So until next time, if Michael Myers is on a killing spree in your neighborhood, um, maybe try to distract him with a baby. I think he seems to have a soft spot for those. <laughs> a soft spot or a bummer? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>